So joining me today is a doctor, and him and I are going to discuss how these lockdown measures could result in more death and healthcare destruction than COVID-19 could possibly imagine. We're going to get into all that today. Welcome to the Raging Patriot Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Saladino. This is a very special episode where we're actually interviewing a guest. Now, if you can, please share and spread the word about this interview so we can get the word out there to the masses. Enjoy. So joining me right now is Dr. Robert Berry. Now, just please introduce yourself. Let everybody know what you do. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joey. Uh, my name's uh, Robert Berry. I'm a board-certified orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist. I've been in private practice for 16 years here in the state of Texas, and I take care of athletes and have spent most of my years taking care of professional athletes. Yeah, so you reached out to me. Um, you helped link me with your brother-in-law, which is Dr. Erickson, who is going viral because of his COVID-19 um, exposing the hoax. And you had something in particular that you wanted to get off your chest and you kind of wanted to also expose about how this is affecting uh, the hospital uh, system and how this could actually be, these lockdowns could result in more harm than the perceived good that it is creating. Yeah, I think what, what happened initially, and we've talked about, and other people have mentioned before me that initially when we were dealing with this virus, we had no idea what we were dealing with. And so here was this novel or new virus that was coming to the United States and President Trump uh, recognized that this was something that could do great harm to our country. And so kind of shut things down. And in shutting those things down, then our leaders across the United States started looking at the models and the model showed us losing potentially, you know, over 2 million people here in the United States. And I think the best case models early on, you know, several hundred thousand, which, you know, no life loss is acceptable. And so I think when our leaders started to look at this, then we had to be prudent and we had to lock things down. Well, well part of that lockdown, Joey, was that we, we shut down the hospitals and the surgery specifically because we thought we were going to just overwhelm our healthcare system. And I think that you've heard this, you know, flattening the curve. I think everybody across the world is now familiar with the term flattening the curve. And that is so that we can not overwhelm our healthcare system. And so part of that was canceling elective surgery. And I think that the intentions were good, but I think that some of these good intentions had unintended consequences. So as surgeons, kind of what we're now seeing is that these elective, elective surgery, I think most people think that when they hear of elective surgery, they think of probably cosmetic surgery and, you know, those types of things. But elective surgery, and as a board-certified orthopedic surgeon, doesn't necessarily mean optional surgery. And so I think initially we What all, would be a good example of an elective surgery that would be considered relatively important to the person's health? Yeah, well, I think that a fracture would be a great example of that. Someone that falls down and breaks a wrist or has an ankle fracture, that is something that you know, needs to be done in a timely fashion. Uh, other things that people that fall down and people may think, well, a rotator cuff tear that maybe that's elective. Well, if you can't raise your arm up, yes, that is a, you know, a problem. And if you have it happen on your dominant side and now you can't work as a result of that, that's a significant problem. But there are some individuals that think or thought that maybe like a rotator cuff, tear, that would be an elective procedure. So that is something that's you know concerning. And then by the time then someone is able to get that taken care of, something that would have been a much easier fix to address early on has now become more significant. And so 
that's the concern that I think that initially it was, you know, people had ideas about what elective surgery was, and then it wasn't clear to all of us as surgeons, because most of the time in the United States in the healthcare system, we've deferred to that doctor patient relationship. We've allowed the physician and the patient to kind of determine what is best. And I think that's a great thing. I think that's what makes our healthcare system great. Now, but you, I you were also the, telling me that it, these, uh, I guess, it would it would be the, were the elective surgeries completely halted or just rescheduled and delayed? Yeah, so it's a great question, Joey. And there was a much confusion because I think when these things came out, and initially the attorney general and our president were kind of giving these recommendations. We had CMS or sort of Medicare uh, giving some recommendations, and then they classified them into certain groups, and it was really confusing because. You know, doctors, we're not attorneys, and we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to protect our patient. And we all took a Hippocratic oath to first do no harm and to serve and to care of patients, to relieve suffering and to treat. And I think that what happened is that the confusion led all doctors, or many doctors, I should say, not all, to kind of pull back because in some cases across the United States, doctors were threatened with loss of license, jail time, fines. And so people were just like, oh my gosh, I certainly don't want to, you know, put my practice and put everything at risk. And at the same time, then patients were coming in and, you know, needing procedures. And, and, and one of the things that's come up, Joey, is that patients who've lost their jobs during this time, they would say, well, I'm out of work right now and I need to get whatever it is fixed or addressed so that when this whole pandemic is over and that we do open back up in a, you know, a responsible fashion, that I can go back to work. And that's been a big part of our practice. And I think probably many other orthopedic surgeons across the United States where patients were coming in are like, I only have my insurance until the end of this month. And if I can't necessarily get this taken care of, then, you know, I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. I'm not going to be able to feed my children. And that is certainly a great concern. And you were also saying that this is going to be delayed uh, diagnosis is um, missed cancers, uh, increased opioid abuse, uh, to mask symptoms, because if, if somebody has symptoms, they can't get anything. Like, as you are saying, if they have a torn rotator cuff, they might go into opioids just to ease some of the pain. Now they're addicted. And there's a lot of what I'm noticing is uh, this. There's a lot of unintended consequences of, you know, uh, the lockdowns lead to not having the proper medical procedures done properly, which people don't realize that has an effect on people. And it, point A leads to point B, leads to point C, and the next thing you know, that person's found in a ditch from an opioid outbreak, which if you bring it back, it's because their rotator cuff and they was dealing with pain and they couldn't get the surgery because the hospitals had to close down to, to deal with a COVID-19 crisis that didn't even turn into the crisis it was perceived to turn into. Um, and that's, Joey, that's, a great, that's a great point. And I don't want to have that miss on our audience that if you look at the CDC website in 2017, there were 70,000 opioid overdose related deaths. That's not even counting the individuals that had, you know, addiction and problems and, you know, dependency then as a result of that and, you know, may have had other health consequences as a result of that. So when you look at the opioid deaths, uh, overdoses in 2017, to compare to everything that we're looking at now. That's a serious issue. And so you're right that a lot of individuals now that couldn't get care, now we're getting prescribed opioid pain medication. And so six months ago, a year ago, we were talking about the opioid crisis and what a serious thing this was. And it still is, I'm not discounting that at all. But I think now because of all the concern and the unintended consequences that you have a lot of individuals that were then being prescribed narcotic medications 
to mask or to treat the symptoms of pain because surgeons and doctors were concerned that, oh my goodness, if I go and I actually take care of these patients, I could put, be put in jail, I could lose my license, I could be fined. And so no one really understood what to do. And so we were really in this- It's almost like the destruction, the, the, the current issues with the healthcare system right now is a self-inflicted wound. Because it's not COVID-19 overflowing the system that's leading to all these problems. It's literally our own governments shooting ourselves in the foot, destroying our own healthcare system. So this way it doesn't get destroyed by COVID-19, which it didn't even happen. Yeah, I will tell you, I think one of the things, and going back a little bit to what I said earlier, that we talk about handling things at the local level. Certainly in Texas, where I am, and compared to New York, and I have friends and colleagues there, that we have to treat each area, each county, each city, each state different. And there are different things that we need to do. And I think that even then to the hospital levels, I think really, you know, the concern over the PPE or the personal protective equipment, that was concerned because there were shortages of this and everything. I would just tell you when the place, I would just tell you that the places of where I am here in Texas, that that was never an issue for us. But I think that each hospital and each county and each area needs to consider those things differently. And I think that if in hindsight, and again, we're gonna have opportunity to really look at all the data, all the information when this is over and determine sort of a debriefing, just like the military do. What went well, what didn't go so well, and then what can we do better in the future to just improve on this and so that we're better prepared. And I, I certainly believe that after this, we're gonna be better prepared. But if at the local level, we could have left that to the hospitals, that if one particular hospital uh, had plenty of PPE. And I will tell you, most orthopedic surgery, just talking about our particular profession, is now outpatient. So people are going into the hospital, they're having their procedures, and then they're going home the same day. So the concern was about beds. And if we had this surge, that we would overwhelm our hospitals and we wouldn't have beds or ventilators available. I'll, right, I'll cut you off right there. A lot of people, the problem is a lot of these politicians that are in control of everything, like, for example, in New York, New York City is definitely a lot different than upstate New York. Los Angeles in California is a lot different than anywhere outside of the big cities in California. And they're treating each of the cities and each of the counties the same when it's completely different. Where New York City, I think, normally has overwhelmed hospitals, whereas upstate, I'm sure it's a lot a lot lower traffic. So to treat them the same, as you were saying, is the hospitals and the counties should do what's best because they know their area. They know their hospital better than the governor just putting a blanket order on the entire state or even on the entire city because you could even break it down even even more. You know, this hospital normally doesn't see a lot of traffic. Um, you know, they, they can keep operating normally. And another problem is that people are always looking at the hospital resources as a finite supply, where these beds are a finite supply. Whatever you can Fit in this hospital is the maximum resources where we're learning that's not the case. And on a regular flu season, a regular bad flu season, they'll set up shop outside the hospitals to add more beds, to add more units. So people think, oh, the maximum, the, the beds that we have in this county is only X and we're not going to be able to handle the influx in patients. Okay, then just get more beds, expand the resources, open up more tents. It's, it's easier to expand their medical resources than to uh, act as if you can't expand them. Yeah, and I think that, you know, certainly having, uh, you know, taking care of lots of athletes and, uh, you know, reference to Monday morning quarterback, we certainly all agree that it's very easy to be retrospective and to look and to, 
you know, say, well, we should have done this. Now, I, I certainly not faulting of, you know, all of our leaders and trying to be prepared. And I think President Trump certainly, uh, I, I mean, bringing the comfort ship and the mercy ship into uh, play in order to create additional beds. I think that that was a great thing being prepared. What happened is that we didn't do things at the local level, which I think, you know, in hindsight, will determine that what we did in New York uh, certainly needed to have a different treatment and a different plan compared to say Texas, say California or Oregon, Washington, any other state. And just as we talk about with patients, it's not a one size fits all. We need to determine what's right and best for each individual patient. And usually that's best determined between the doctor or surgeon and the patient and at the local level. I think that's usually where we can do things best when we handle healthcare and medical issues at the local level. Now you're also saying that if a second wave does occur, that right now we're dealing with, you said, layoffs of nurses, doctors, OR, x-ray technicians, um, the staff shortages at the hospitals because the majority of hospitals are right now underwhelmed to the point where uh, I guess they're lowering their medical resources and, the, and the, the medical personnel, that if a second wave was to come in and to shoot up, that will be even less prepared for the second wave. Yeah, so we're sort of setting ourselves up for a potential problem here. And I'm glad that you brought that up because the ORs are often what helps this, the hospitals to stay open. And what occurred when we shut down all elective surgery or majority of cases, then nurses were furloughed, laid off, doctors. You've even heard of ER doctors at places, and those are certainly on the front line, like you know Dr. Erickson and others across the United States that those individuals are the ones that are first seeing those individuals. And so if we're laying off nurses, if we're laying off OR techs, if we're laying off x-ray techs, then when we do open up, well, even right now, for instance, those x-ray techs that are taking x-rays in the operating room are often the same x-ray techs that are down in the emergency room shooting your chest x-ray, doing your CT scan sometimes. And so when we lose those frontline personnel, then we are less prepared for a potential surge. So I can tell you in our state, one of the largest groups of people that are currently unemployed, healthcare workers. And that's true across the United States. So now what's happened in some instances, some hospitals have actually had to close. They're across the United States. And we're talking in areas where there's been very few cases or very few deaths. And again, every death is tragic and not minimizing any of that. But certainly we've seen that some hospitals have closed. Well, now when those hospitals close, if people have things like chest pain, they're having abdominal pain, now they may have to travel greater distances in order to go get care because those also, are the people that are afraid now to go to the hospital because they're being told, you know, that's where the COVID-19 patients are. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to, oh, my stomach hurts. Oh, my heart hurts. I think I'm going to stay home. I don't want to catch the Corona. And people are <laughs> being found dead in their homes because yeah. oh, they're not going and actively seeking the treatment that they need. Yeah, that's such a great point, Joey. And we'll give something that probably a lot of people are familiar with. You know, people that have, you know, chest pain or indigestion, and sometimes people that are diabetic and have what we call these comorbidities, meaning they have other medical problems. Well, they sometimes don't necessarily present with typical symptoms, like let's say chest pain. So someone that has indigestion, they may think, oh, I probably should go get checked. Maybe I should go to the hospital and get an EKG. Maybe it'll pass. Maybe I'll take some Maalox or some Ilanta or some Tums and hoping that it'll go away because they're more afraid of, yes, as you said, going to the hospital and then being potentially exposed to COVID. And so people are fearful, or as you said, abdominal pain. Well, maybe I've just got a little bit of gas. Maybe it's just a little bit of, you know, um, you know, I'm constipated or something. And, 
that in reality, it could be that they have appendicitis or maybe they have a, acute cholecystitis or, you know, gallbladder and, and they've been dealing with that. And so that could really lead to, you know, some serious problems. I will tell you, my grandmother, I was raised by my grandparents and uh, my grandmother, God rest her soul. She unfortunately uh, had walked, this is years ago, but this is a great example. She had actually walked a couple miles with my grandfather uh, and she came home and she started to have some abdominal pain. Now, she delayed in going to the hospital and by the time she finally got there, she had gangrenous bowel. They operated on her and she unfortunately never made it out of the hospital and passed away. And that was several years ago. And so that's an example of what can happen. And, you know, that was in a time where, you know, she delayed care because she thought, well, it's probably nothing. And that's certainly not the message that we want for the average American to have that if you're having something to delay and going and getting care because you're afraid of this other thing and those things like chest pain can actually kill you. Yeah, and like, so for, for me, for example, I have autoimmune in, of the liver. And when I went to the doctor, it, it took a long time to figure out what was wrong with me months. It took months to figure out what was wrong with me. Cause they put me through all these testings. They thought I had something else at first and they were treating me for that. Then they were treating me for something else. It took a really long time. And, and by the time they did find out what it was, they said, we caught it just in time. Yeah. And if they didn't catch it in time, I probably would have needed a liver transplant. And I'm just thinking, mm -hmm. if that happened with me now, where, whereas adding the delay of me going, actually, it was, we actually found out it through um, a regular physical. We found something mm -hmm. was up. But even if that got postponed or everything got po postponed by a month or two, and then instead of finding it out in three months, we find it out in six months. I could have possibly just, you know, ended up dying or having complete liver failure and needing a full on mm -hmm. transplant. So I, you know, thinking about that and that's a common story yep. that happening with me happens with people every single day. And I think in the next six months, we're going to be seeing the consequences of these lockdowns with the met with medical and opioids in six months that's when all of this stuff is going to start adding it up and we're going to start seeing it and who knows when the lockdowns are over hospitals might just get swarmed now from the backup of patients of people waiting yeah and it that yeah. could hurt yeah and thanks for sharing your story and then your story i'm sure like many other americans is uh, very similar meaning that there's lots of people out there that are delaying care you know, there, I'll give you an example of, you know, colon screening and people that get endoscopies or colonoscopies, you know, those are considered elective procedures. And so let's say that someone's maybe had a little bit of bleeding uh, or maybe that they've been having a lot of pain when they eat. And so you could have an ulcer up top in your stomach, or if you're having maybe some bleeding below, you're thinking, well, you know, maybe it's something, you know, a hemorrhoid or something like that, or it could be colon cancer. Well, something that could have been very easily treated, maybe, uh, or biopsied, and maybe just treated locally, all of a sudden something could now go on to being metastasized. So something that was a local treatable cancer that could have been handled with uh, either excisional biopsy or certainly just excision and local treatment may require more radical treatment. And so there may be more advanced cancers when we come out of this and people go back. And as you pointed out, a lot of Americans then are delaying care and then they're not getting physicals. So they're going in, they're not getting well checks. I think this is especially critical for our pediatric colleagues. Uh, many pediatricians right now, their offices are empty because 
Families are afraid to go in because they may get exposed to COVID. They're trying to follow the guidelines of self uh, social isolation and social distancing. And so children aren't getting their vaccinations. They're not going for their well child checks. So now potentially children are not getting the vaccinations. And so they're going to be potentially at risk when they're out and about and maybe exposed to other individuals with things like measles. I think we probably have all seen certain areas around the United States where we've had surges in measles. And if we don't have certain groups of, you know, enough people vaccinated, vaccinated in an area, then we start to see these outbreaks occur. And measles is an example of that. But right now there's a lot of children. I have three grandchildren and, you know, they haven't been into their pediatrician. So this is a concern that we have as doctors. And there's many pediatricians, I will tell you, that are having to close their doors. And when this is over, there's going to be, again, less pediatricians, less physicians in order to take care of those patients. Yeah, there's going to be less to take care of a backed up demand. Yeah. And I I hope when that comes, because we do live in a supply and demand free market economy, I do hope that by the time that does happen, medical resources and staff will come back immediately because there is going to be a demand where if somebody who would close their doors, you know, permanently, well, pretty much, obviously, there's a demand and they're the supply, they'll come right back. That's what I'm hoping. But there still would be that time lag or that um, that's kind of going to become the real crisis. Because what we're seeing right now is at the end of the day, people are going to die. People need to understand that every single that deaths, death is inevitable. A lot of governors and people think that they can just stop all the deaths immediately, especially with COVID-19. You know, it's similar to dealing with the flu or any other, I guess, viral infection is you, you can't make that number zero. It's just not possible. People are going to be infected. It's going to spread. And to, to lie to the people and say, staying at home until it goes away, then you can come out. It's, that's, not a, that's not a reality. That's not a possibility. So I, I, what would your perfect solution be to get people back out and actually seeking medical attention that they need for non-COVID-related illnesses? What would your solution be? Just to tell people or something done at the government or hospital level? Well, I think that there's a couple of things that we can do, Joey. I think we've heard a lot of support coming from Washington and the government. And one of the very groups of people I think that's sort of been left out are the healthcare workers with the support. We've all heard about the PPP and the different programs and, you know, the bailouts for, you know, you know, hotels and cruise lines and for a variety of businesses. We talked about now even hospitals having some access to earmarked funds. But to my knowledge, and I haven't heard anybody that's talked about providing funds for private practices and the doctors who are on the front lines and who some of which have lost their jobs and who now have had to close their practices. And it's a great concern because the private practice doctors may not be able to open back up because they're small business owners, just like other restaurants and hair salons and other businesses. Those are essential as well. So I think like many things in health, if we can just take care of things early on and we can open up in a controlled fashion, I think that the recommendations from our leaders that are being sort of practiced in the individual counties, the individual states, when we open up responsibly, I think that, you know, people need to go back to their doctors and hopefully that they will still be there so that they can take care of them. But to be clear, 
getting things taken care of early, sort of what our grandmothers told us, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of care. When it comes to our health and healthcare, it's absolutely true. I, I agree with you. Now, I guess, um, is there anything else you want to get off your chest about this that you feel like the people should know? Or you think we covered everything? Well, I think that we've done a fantastic job here with all of our leaders flattening the curve, the flattening the virus curve. I now think that it's time to flatten the unemployment healthcare curve and flatten that unemployment curve for all Americans. And I think we need to do that in a responsible way because the collateral damage is some have used that term or the unintended consequences that I think as of yesterday, we had 32 million people that were unemployed. And my grandfather, my grandparents raised me, he was born right at the end of the, the Great Depression. So we've had a lot of talks about this and the impacts, and he lived through the repercussions of that. So I think that we need to work together. And since we really do value our healthcare workers and we appreciate all that people are doing, I would really like to consider uh, for our leaders to consider doing some things to actually help support the private practice physicians that are out there, possibly maybe if there's a next round of support. But I think supporting our healthcare workers, those who are on the front line so that we can be here when this is over to take care of our patients and serve them. Now, everybody who's listening, take what he just said and spread the word. Make that the new narrative. We need to get that word out there. We, we need to make it public because everybody's right now arguing and debating over the lockdowns, over protecting small businesses. But in that conversation, I rarely ever see the small pediatric businesses or doctors being ever discussed in those. We're always talking about the frontline healthcare workers, the nurses, and the ER, and we're not talking about the private practices, which is vital and important to the system. Um, so people watching, I want you to start spreading the word about that, start making the conversation about that. Now, where can people finally find you? Where can people stay in touch? What would you like to plug? Yeah, I mean, if anybody wanted to reach out to me, they can reach me at drrobertberry.com. That's just uh, my name, R-O-B-E-R-T, Berry, B-E-R-R-Y.com, drrobertberry.com. Well, great. You, great. Thank, thank you so much for joining us and, and enlightening everybody. Thanks for having me, Joey. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you so much for listening to The Raging Patriot. If you are listening to Apple, please give it five stars. Uh, the left is one star bombarding me. If you want to shoot me a text, send me some fan mail, 917-540-8768. You can shoot me a text. I'll keep you updated on things. You can send me questions. I might answer them on the show. I might answer them in the text with you. Uh, also, if you can, please share this episode to your friends. Send it to your friends. I, I love doing this daily show. Send it to your friends. Subscribe. Tell them to subscribe. Um, you know, I'll be here every single day. Uh, you know, I'll never take a day off. I, I, I promise you. And if I do, then I, I, pro I probably have COVID-19. I'm probably sick and dying. So, yeah, thank, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you. Go listen to another episode. If you listen to this this far, then, then you need help. You need to go to my other episodes. Peace out.